care of. You know your body, we know science. Let's work together. Find the right vitamins, protection, and now collagen too. Personalized just for you. Healthy doesn't have to be hard. Simply uh, care of makes it easy. Take a quiz. Tell us a little about yourself. Care of. There's good listeners. Get nutrients at work. Get your personalized recommendation backed by science and delivered to you. Stick with it long term. Keep the conversation going. Care of will adjust as your health needs change. A routine tailored to you. Care of will help you create a health plan with vitamins, supplements, and more that help you feel your best today and support you long term. Care of is with you. Once you have your tailored plan, Care of will help you stick with it, track your supplements, learn about how they work, and get new recommendations as your health changes. All in our All in Care of's handy app. Say hello to your new healthy habit. Honest guidance. Care of promises to be the honest with you. That means Care of will show you the best research and be transparent about how they established it. Care of don't doesn't pretend all supplements have equal levels of scientific evidence or traditional history because that isn't the truth but Care of will always show their work and tailor their guidance to you as an individual. Better ingredients. Care's research and development has traveled the globe so they can provide the most effective bioavailable and sustainable ingredients possible. Care of is transparent about their supply chain because they build products they want to take and then they deliver them straight to your door. Good morning. Here is part four of U.S. President number 13, Millard Fillmore, starting with 1856 campaign. Fillmore's allies were in full control of the American Party and they arranged for him to get his presidential nomination while he was in Europe. The Know Nothing Convention chose Andrew Jackson Donaldson of Kentucky to be Fillmore's running mate. He was his nephew by marriage and one-time pre- ward of President Jackson. Fillmore made a celebrated return in June 1856, speaking at a series of welcomes, which began with his arrival at a huge reception in New York City and continued across the state, of Buff- state to Buffalo. These addresses were portrayed as expressions of thanks for his reception rather than as campaign speeches which might be considered illicit office-seeking if made by a presidential hopeful. Fillmore warned that electing the Republican candidate, former California Senator John C. Fremont, who had no support in the South, which would divide the Union and lead to civil war. Both Fillmore and the Democrat candidate, former Pennsylvania Senator James Buchanan, agreed that slavery was principally a matter of state, not federal government, and not federal government. Fillmore rarely spoke about the immigration question and focused on the sectional divide, urging preservation of the Union. Once Fillmore was back in was back home in Buffalo, he had no excuse to make speeches, and his campaign stagnated through the summer and fall of 1856. Political fixers who had been Whigs, such as Weed, intended to join the Republican Party, and the Know Nothings lack experience at selling anything but nativism. Accordingly, Fillmore's pro-union stance mostly went unheard. Although the South was friendly towards Fillmore, many there feared a Fremont victory would lead to succession, and some sympathetic to Fillmore moved into the Buchanan camp, lest the anti 
Fremont vote be split, which might elect the Republican. Scary suggested that the events of 1856 included the conflict in Kansas Territory and the caning of Charles Sumner on the floor of the Senate, polarized the nation, making Fillmore's moderate stance obsolete. On Election Day, Buchanan won with 1,836,072 votes, 45.3%, and 174 electoral votes to Fremont's 1,342,345 votes, 33.1%, and 114 electoral votes. Fillmore and Donaldson finished third, winning 873,053 votes, 21.6%, and carrying the state of Maryland and its eight electoral votes, the American Party ticket nearly lost in several southern states and a change of fewer than 8,000 votes in Louisiana to Kentucky and Tennessee would have thrown the election to the House of Representatives where the sectional divide would have made the outcome uncertain. Historian Alan Nevins wrote that Fillmore was a know-nothing or a nativist. He was out of the country when the nomination came and had not been consulted about running. Furthermore, by no spoken or written word had he indicated a subscription to American tenets. He sought national unity and felt the American Party was the only hope for forming a truly national party which shall ignore this constant and distracting agitation of slavery. Remarriage, later life, and death. Carolyn Fillmore. Fillmore considered his political career to be at an end with his defeat in 1856. He again felt inhibited from returning to the practice of law. However, his financial worries were removed on February 10, 1858, when he married Carolyn McIntosh, a well-to-do widow. Their combined wealth allowed them to purchase a large house in Niagara Square in Buffalo, where they lived for the remainder of his life. There, the Fillmore's devoted themselves to entertaining and philanthropy. According to historian Smith, they generously supported almost every conceivable cause. Among these were the Buffalo Historical Society and the Buffalo General Hospital, which he helped found. Fillmore during the Civil War. In the election of 1860, Fillmore voted to, for Senator Douglas, the nominee of the Northern Democrats. After the vote in which the public candidate, former Illinois Representative Abraham Lincoln, was elected, many sought out Fillmore's views, but he refused to take any part in succession crisis that followed, feeling that he lacked influence. He decried Buchanan's inaction as states left the Union, writing that while the federal government could not coerce a state, those advocating secession should be simply should simply be regarded as traitors. When Lincoln came to Buffalo to en route to his inauguration, Fillmore led the committee selected to receive the president elect, hosted him at his mansion, and took him to church. Once war came, Fillmore supported Lincoln in his efforts to preserve the Union. He commanded the Union Continentals, a corps, a corps of home guards of males over the age of forty-five. From the upstate New York area, the Continentals trained to defend the Buffalo area in the event of a Confederate attack. They performed military drill, ceremonial functions at parades, funerals, and other guards. The Union Continentals regarded Lincoln's federal funeral train in Buffalo. They continued operations after the war, and Fillmore remained active with them almost until his death. Despite Fillmore's zeal in, a, in the war effort, he gave a speech in early 1864 calling for magnanimity towards the South at war's end and counting its heavy costs, both financial and in blood. The Lincoln administration saw this as an attack on what an attack on it that could not be tolerated in the, in an election year. 
and Fillmer was criticized in many newspapers, called a copperhead and even a traitor. This led to lasting ill feeling against Fillmer in many circles. In the 1864 presidential election, Fillmore supported Democratic candidate George B. McClellan for the presidency, believing that the Democratic Party's plan for immediate cessation of fighting and allowing the states to return with, pub with slavery intact was the best possibility for restoring the Union. After Lincoln's assassination in, 18, in April 1865, black ink was thrown on Fillmore's house because it was not draped in mourning like others. He was apparently out of town at the time and put black drapes in the curtains once they returned. Although he retained his position as Buffalo's leading citizen and was among those selected to escort the body when Lincoln's funeral train passed through Buffalo, there was still anger towards him for his wartime positions. Fillmore supported President Andrew Johnson's reconstruction policies, feeling that the nation needed to be reconciled. As quickly as possible, he devoted most of his time to civic activities. He aided Buffalo in becoming the third American city to have a permanent art gallery with the Buffalo Fine Arts Academy. Fillmore stayed in good health almost to the end, but suffered a stroke in February 1874 and died after a second one on March 8th at the age of 74. Two days later, he was buried at Forest Lawn Cemetery in Buffalo. After a funeral procession, including hundreds of notables, the U.S. Senate sent three of its members to honor its former president including Lincoln's first vice president, Marion's Hannibal Hamlin. Legacy and historical view. According to biographer Scary, no president of the United States has suffered as much ridicule as Millard Fillmore. He ascribed much of the abuse to a tendency to denigrate the presidents who served in the years just prior to the Civil War as lacking in leadership. For example, later President Harry S. Truman characterized Fillmore as a weak, trivial, some twaddler who would do nothing to offend anyone and is, respons and is responsible in part for the war and a prior writing in the Wall Street Journal in 2010 says that Fillmore's very name connotes mediocrity. Another Fillmore biographer, Finkelman, commented on the central issues of, of the age. His vision was myopic and his legacy is worse. In the end, Fillmore was always on the wrong side of the great moral and political issues. Rayback, however, applauded the warmth and wisdom which he with which he had defended the Union. Although Fillmore has become something of a cult figure as America's most forgettable chief executive, Smith found him to be a conscientious president who chose to honor his oath of office and enforce the Fugitive Slave Act rather than governed based on his personal preferences. Stephen G. Calabresi and Christopher S. U. in their study of presidential power, Dean Fillmore, a faithful executor of the laws of the United States for good and for ill, but according to Smith, the enforcement of the act has given Fillmore an undeserved pro-Southern reputation. Fillmore's place in history has also suffered because even those who give him high marks for his support of the compromise have done so almost grudgingly, because, probably because of his know-nothing candidacy in 1856. Smith argued that Fillmore's association with the know-nothings looks far worse in retrospect than it did at the time and that the former president was not motivated by nativism in his candidacy. Benson Lee Grayson suggested that the Fillmore administration's ability to avoid potential problems is too often overlooked. Fillmore's constant attention to Mexico avoided a resumption of the Mexican-American War and laid the groundwork for the Gadsden Treaty during Pierce's presidency. Meanwhile, the Fillmore administration resolved a controversy with Portugal left over from the Taylor 
administration smoothed over a disagreement with Peru over Guano Islands and peacefully resolved disputes with Britain, France, and Spain over Cuba. All of these crises were resolved without the United States going to war or losing face. Grayson also applauded Miller's firm stand against Texas ambitions in New Mexico during the 1850 crisis. Fred I. Greenstein and Dale Anderson praised Fillmore for his resoluteness in his early months in office, nothing, noting that Fillmore is typically described as stolid, bland, and conventional, but such terms estimate the Forceless evinced by his handling of the Texas-New Mexico border crisis, his decision to replace Tyler, Taylor's entire cabinet, and his effectiveness in advancing the compromise in 1850. Millow Fillmore, with his wife Abigail, established the first house, the first White House library. There are a number of resemblances of Millow Fillmore. His East Aurora house still stands and sites honor him at his birthplace and boyhood home where a replica log cabin was dedicated in, in 1963 by the Miller Fillmore Memorial Association. A statue of Fillmore stands outside Buffalo City Hall at the university he helped found, now University of Buffalo, Miller Fillmore Academic Center, and Miller Fillmore College bears his name. On February 18, 2010, the United States Mint released the 13th coin in the presidential dollar coin program bearing Fillmore's likeness. According to the assessment of Fillmore by the Miller Center of Public Affairs at the University of Virginia, any assessment of a president who served a century and a half ago must be refracted through a consideration of the interesting times in which he lived. Fillmore's political career encompassed a torturous course toward the two-party system that we know today. The Whigs were not cohesive enough to survive the slavery in Bruglio, while parties like the Anti-Masonics and Know-Nothings were too extremists. When as President Fillmore when as President Fillmer decided with pro-slavery elements and ordering enforcement of the future slave law, he all but guaranteed that he would be the last Whig president. The first modern two-party system of Whigs and Democrats has succeeded only in dividing the nation in two by the 1850s and seven years later, the election of the first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln, would guarantee civil war. Notes. Fillmer was vice president under President Secretary <coughs> <coughs> he became president upon Taylor's death on July 9, 1850, prior to the adoption of the 25th Amendment in 1967. A vacancy in the office of vice president was not fulfilled until the next ensuing election and inauguration. The original law cab was demolished in 1852, but in 1965, the Miller-Fillmore Memorial Association, using materials from a similar cabin, Constructed replica, which is located in Fillmore Glen State Park in Moravia. Later in the Thania, the first father of president to visit his son at the White House alluded to his family's one-time poverty when he told the questioner how to raise a son to be president, cradle him in a sap trough. Fillmore's uncle Calvin Fillmore served in the New York State Assembly. Another uncle, Simeon Fillmore, served as town supervisor of Clarence, New York. Southern Carolina did not yet use a popular vote for choosing electors with the legislature electing them instead. Until 1913, senators were elected by state legislature, not by the people. The modern-day states of New Mexico and Arizona, unless the Gadsden Purchase, the, the Constitution designates the vice president as the Senate's presiding officer. The term derives from the transportation vehicle as the bill carries all the related proposals as passengers. Calhoun was dead, Webster was Secretary of State, and Clay was absent. Recovering from his exertions on behalf of the bill at Newport, Rhode Island, 
In fact, Fillmore had been awarded an honorary LLD from Geneva College in 1850. He accepted even though his text was in Latin. Fillmore thus became the first former president to receive electoral votes, a decision which later was included, which also included Grover Clinton in 1892 and Theodore Roosevelt in 1912. Thank you for listening to this episode of U.S. President number 13, Millard Fillmore. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you stay safe, stay home. If you can, practice what you do. If you do go out, wear a mask, wash your hands. Use universal precaution during this coronavirus pandemic that extends into 2021. As we look forward to a normalcy if and whatever that can happen. Stay tuned for next week for U.S. President number 14, Franklin Pierce. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and as always, thank you for listening.